Have you ever sat in the pew during a sermon and thought, oh, he's talking to me? (laughs) Well, um, today's sermon, I think I'm going to be preaching to myself. So I wanted to invite you to join along as I preach to myself here for a minute. But um, as I was looking at this and thinking about things, I think that maybe God has this for me today, but I hope that you will get something out of this too. Um, So welcome, and uh, let's see where this goes. There are, I don't know if you realize this, but there are 3% of Americans who suffer from a condition called immunodeficiency. What it means is that their body fails to recognize foreign agents like viruses and bacteria and fails to fight them off completely. So that's one end of the spectrum, immunodeficiency. On the other side, you probably, or some of you at least, experience this. 35 million Americans incorrectly identify pollen as a virus, and they have allergies. So you've got this razor edge where your body correctly identifies wrong things and doesn't incorrectly identify things that are okay for you. That's called discernment. When you correctly identify exactly where you're supposed to be. We're going to be today in Joshua chapter 9, and we're going to be studying discernment. Discernment. It's a fascinating concept. Know what is exactly right and what is exactly right. To be able to determine exactly where you should be. So, Joshua chapter 9. Joshua 1 begins with God taking charge of Israel. And we have Joshua put on the forefront, but it's God that's really in charge. In Joshua chapter 3, God shows his power as he stops the waters of the Jordan and Israel marches across on dry land. By the time we get to Joshua chapter 6, the walls of Jericho come falling down and it is clearly God's hand who is over Israel. There is no doubt. In Joshua chapter 8, the armies of Israel march on the city of Ai, and have an overwhelming victory, a complete and total victory. Why? Because God gave the victory. Time and time again in the book of Joshua, we see God is the one who gives the victory. God is the source. So you would wonder, after the victory at Ai, what's going to happen next? But at this point, everybody knows that God is leading the charge What's next? And that's where we're going to pick up in Joshua chapter 9. We're going to start by reading a bigger chunk of text. We're going to read verses 1 through 13 in Joshua chapter 9. So follow along with me in your Bibles as I start with verse 1. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They put worn patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food was dry and moldy. 
Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. How can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled with new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. What I want you to see in this passage is that discernment matters because those who are not among God's people play by different rules. Discernment matters because those who aren't part of God's people are playing by a different set of rules. I want you to see that there's two common worldly responses to God's power that we often see on display. Two common worldly responses. The first is that when some people see God's power, they attempt to rebel. We see this in verses 1 and 2. A coalition forms. A coalition of opponents of Israel, those who had heard of God's power, heard about the destruction that Israel was bringing. They realize if we continue to let Israel pick us off city by city by city, as we've done in Jericho and Ai, we're not going to stand any chance at all. Let's ally together and form a powerful coalition. There's a lot of city names or people names in there, and uh, I don't want to get too deep into the geography. But what I want you to see as you look at that is the, the geography describes basically the whole land of Canaan. It was a large coalition of basically everybody that gets together and discusses forming this alliance. It's interesting. They say they're going to form the alliance in order to fight, but there's no battle that's actually described here. It seems like maybe the alliance was formed and it never really came to anything. It was a lot of talk, but, but no action, it seems like. But there's another way that people often respond when they see God's power. When some people see God's power, they attempt to manipulate or control it for themselves. Look at what happens. The city of Gibeon, the Gibeonites, come up with a ruse. The Gibeonites were located fairly close to Ai. They were five miles north of Jerusalem or so, and they come up with a ruse. They're going to trick Israel. They probably, at some point, must have I don't know how, but they must have known something of God's rules for Israel. In Deuteronomy, God had told Israel the following. You are allowed to make treaties with countries outside of Canaan. So the countries far away, you're allowed to make a treaty with them. 
The countries inside Canaan, those peoples, you cannot make a treaty with them. Not allowed. Forbidden. Off limits. People inside Canaan will cause a distraction to you. They will cause you to sin. Get rid of them. Drive them out of the land. So the Gibeonites come up with a ruse. They pack old clothes. I don't know about you. I've got lots of old tennis shoes. I, so I have my running shoes. After 300 to 400 miles, they become tennis shoes. After the next set of running shoes become tennis shoes, the old tennis shoes become mowing shoes. After they become mowing shoes, they usually sit on the garage shelf until Emily says, why do we have three pairs of shoes sitting in the garage? And then they get put in the trash can. I've got old clothes. You probably have old clothes. The Gibeonites come up with a plan. They have old clothes. They get moldy bread. They get old wine. And they put it all together. And they march a couple of miles to Israel. And they act like they're exhausted. They look like they're exhausted. Their supplies are run out. And they tell Israel, we've come from so far away. We want to make peace with you because we've heard of all that's going on. And they tell this elaborate lie. Joshua asks a couple of questions. Who are you? Where are you from? And they essentially dodge the question. We're from really far away. You wouldn't believe how far we came. But we heard about you. We've heard about you. And we're going to see Joshua takes the bait. What I want you to realize is discernment matters because others are playing by different rules. Look at John 14, 6 in your Bibles. It's a, just a single verse here. John 14, 6. Once I read it, you're going to say, oh, I knew this. John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Without God, there is no truth. I want you to understand that. Without God, there is no truth. Jesus says he is the truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. The world would love to trick us. The world will love to fool us. Satan in John 8:44 is described as the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his own language because he is a liar. And he seeks, like a prowling lion, those whom he can devour to fool, to trick. The biggest problem that we're going to see is not that Israel was presented with a lie. It was that they failed to seek God. They failed to seek truth. Have you ever played a board game with a younger child who only sort of knows the rules and the rules change often? And eventually you get fed up and you have to go look at the rule book to figure out how in the world did this game change so many times? The world plays by different rules. The world plays by rules that are changing. God is the source of truth. I want to also remind you that when we look at this passage and when we are responding to God, we cannot forget Rahab. Remember Rahab. The Gibeonites 
responded to God by trying to trick Israel. Rahab, how did she respond to God? By pleading with him for mercy. And so the world plays by different rules, but God is waiting for people just to come and ask him for mercy. So this is the first point. Discernment matters because those not among God's people play by different rules. Let me give you an action step. My challenge for you is to search yourself and make sure that you are turning to truth. Realize that the world, and when I use the term the world, I really mean the world under Satan's influence. The world is seeking to trick you, to trip you up. Turn to truth, and that's not a, cap, or that's not a typo that I capitalized truth there. Jesus says, I am the truth. We turn to Jesus for truth. So, I've alluded to Israel falls for the trick. We're going to get there. Let's look at Joshua chapter 9, verses 14 through 21. I want you to see how this sort of plays out for Joshua. So starting in verse 14, the Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out, and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kiriphah, Be'erath, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, We've given them our oath by the Lord, God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Discernment matters because God holds his people to a very high standard. Discernment matters because God's standard for us is that we are people of truth. We are people of our word. We are people who honor our commitments. Look at verse 14 again. What we see in verse 14 is that failure comes from failing to turn to God. The problem was not that Joshua was tricked or that he was lied to or that this ruse occurred. The Gibeonites were acting as people who don't know God act. They were responding the way they knew how to respond, in a lie. The failure that occurred was a failure of not going to God. Joshua failed because he didn't go to God to seek guidance. And verse 14 could not make this any clearer. The Israelites sampled their provisions. They tried it out. They tested themselves, but did not inquire of the Lord. What a testament to a failure. And I want you to realize 
This is the second time that Israel has failed in this way. Remember Achan two weeks ago. Again, before attacking Ai, Israel should have asked God. Here, before making a treaty, Israel should have asked God. It's interesting. They talk about this peace treaty. They talk about this covenant. They talk about taking an oath. It's all the same word of covenant whenever it talks about the treaty or the covenant. The same covenant that God had made with Israel, Barit, they're asking for a covenant, and they don't even go to God to ask permission. A failure on their part. Have you ever heard the phrase, ignorance is bliss? It's not. Ignorance is not bliss. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm sorry. I, I, I love this phrase. I love to play ignorant. But God calls us to something different. Starting in verse 15 in Ephesians 5, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In Ephesians 5, what we see is that the first thing, we live in a fallen world. The passage says the days are evil. The idea there is not that everybody has a bad day all the time. That's not what it's trying to say. It's trying to say we live in a world that is fallen. And everywhere we turn are opportunities for evil. And so we need to be careful. The next thing it says there is that life is short. It says make the most of every opportunity. We could summarize that as life is short. Make the most of the opportunities you've been given. And then it ends with understand what is the will of the Lord. We have to go to God for wisdom. The failure of Joshua was a failure to go to God. We are called to be very careful, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We're called to discernment. One of the, I think, hardest parts about this passage is verses 16 to 21. Back in, sorry, back in Joshua chapter 9. In verses 16 through 21, what I see is that God expects his people to keep their word. I want you to understand this expectation. Had the Gibeonites been truthful? No. No, not at all. Had they tricked Israel into signing a contract, Israel was still expected to keep that contract because they had sworn an oath under the Lord. Part of the reason discernment matters so much is because God holds us to a very high standard. And they felt they could not break it because their word mattered. Because God is the God of truth. And we have every opportunity to go to him and ask for wisdom. He expects us to be people of our word. Now, you might say, okay, this is one example of that. Do you have another example? I do. Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. 
Jacob tricked his father Isaac into giving him the blessing. When Isaac discovered it, Isaac said, I can't go against my word. I already gave my word. God expects us to be people of his word. So discernment really matters. So let me give you an action step here. If we're speed people of our word, then we need to, first of all, take stock of our commitments and make sure that we're honoring them. Take stock of the commitments that you've made. Make sure that you're honoring your commitments. This can be hard because we live in a culture where when people ask you for something, what is the default answer? Yes. And how many of our calendars are packed full with default answers of yes? Yes. Let me give you then a second action step. Consider your pending commitments and go to God for discernment. Think about the things that you have to commit to. Think about the things that are pending and go to God and ask him for discernment. We should be constantly in prayer because we're constantly being faced with opportunities to commit to something. We should be asking God for discernment, asking God what the right step is to take, all the while remembering in the back of our head, when we make a commitment, God expects us to keep it. That's his standard. Let's move forward to verses 22 through 27. What I want you to see is how God redeems even bad situations here. Verses 22 through 27. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying, We live a long way from you, while actually you live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly, to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place where the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. Discernment matters because our choices have long-term consequences. The choices we make have long-term consequences. One of the uh, things that has fascinated me is how video games have changed. So um, for those of you who are younger, um, when I grew up, we had a Nintendo, and in a Nintendo, you could not save your progress, okay? So you could play for three hours and then fall off the edge with your last life, and you couldn't go back three minutes ago. You were done. Game over. But at least you'd only lost three hours of your life. Now, in a video game... You save your work, right? Like every 15 minutes you hit save so that if you do something dumb, you just go back and reload where you saved it. So you only lose 15 minutes of your life, right? 
we've taught like ourselves, we've trained ourselves that, oh, you know, if I make a bad decision, I'll just go back in time 15 minutes and be good. That's how sometimes, that's definitely how we live in video game world, and sometimes I think we live that way in our world right now. Oh, if I make the wrong decision, I'll just rewind. It doesn't work that way. Decisions have long-term consequences. Bad decisions often have consequences. So look at the bad decisions and the consequences that we see here. The Gibeonites had consequences for their lie. Actually, they lost the very thing they were hoping for. They were hoping for freedom to do whatever they wanted, and Joshua said, no. In perpetuity, you'll be stuck serving us. You do not get the freedom you so desired. You will be stuck carrying wood, bringing water. This is your new job, not just for you, but for generations to come. But also, look at what Israel's reminded to do, or forced to do. Every time they walk to the temple, what are they going to see? Gibeonites. They're going to be reminded constantly of the bad decision that they made as well, failing to drive out one of the people groups. Israel was forced to live with the constant reminder of their failure. The people of Gibeon were forced to constantly serve. And in fact, we see that this was not just something that was a short-lived thing. Several hundred years later, Saul violated the oath, and it brought national consequences. So Saul's later violation of the oath brought about national consequences. I'm not going to go there and read this, but if you want to look it up, it's in 2 Samuel 21, 1-6. through 6. What happens is Saul gets this great idea of let's wipe out the Gibeonites, and so he goes on the offensive and starts killing Gibeonites, and God judges Israel because Israel swore to protect the Gibeonites. Hundreds of years later, Saul's attacking the Gibeonites. And there's actually a like, famine in the land as a result of this, and David has to inquire of God, what's going on? God says, it's because of Saul attacking the Gibeonites. That's not allowed. You made a promise to them. I know it was hundreds of years ago. I know it was under false pretenses. You made the promise. You got to honor it. Be a person of your word. And David has to take action because of this. God held Israel accountable long-term. There were long-term consequences. But ultimately, I want you to also recognize that God redeems despite our failures. God works through our failures. And we can take great solace in this, great joy in this. What happens to the Gibeonites? They are forced to work where? In the temple. What was the problem that the Canaanites had? The reason why God said to drive them out, to kill those who won't leave, to drive them out. What was the problem they had? Idolatry. Idolatry that led to violence, that led to immorality, that led to horrific acts. And God, in his amazing plan of redemption, takes these people who were idolatrous and injects them in the very place where they will have nothing other to do than look at God and away from their idolatry. God redeems even the worst case scenario, even our biggest failures, God can redeem them. There is hope even in failure. In fact, by the time we get to Nehemiah, so this is 
nearly 500 years later almost, by the time we get to Nehemiah, the Gibeonites are the ones who are rebuilding Jerusalem because they apparently had become faithful to God. So we see Israel returning to the land. Many Israelites are rebuilding. And in Nehemiah, we read that alongside them were the Gibeonites, faithfully, apparently, following God. It's just like God, not just to forgive, but to transform into something good. So let me give you an action step. I want you to think about past failures. And I want you to determine to see how God turns your past failures into present redemptions. I am convinced that if we show discernment, God will keep us safe. But even when we fail, God will turn our past failures into present redemptions. And we will be able to see ways in which God has taken my past and used it to bring glory. So does discernment matter? I think so. I believe we live in a world where people play by different rules, but God's expectations of us is to live by a very high standard. Our choices do have consequences, but God can redeem them. It doesn't give us an excuse to do wrong. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But rather, it gives us the opportunity to reflect on our past, see how God has worked, and determine to go to God in the future, to discern his will, to follow him closely. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God of redemption, who takes our failures in the past and turns them into pictures of redemption, portraits of redemption. I pray that you would help us to be discerning people. I pray as a church that we would discern your will clearly, that we would never take for granted, but always turn to you in faith and ask, what should we do next? Help us to be a people that doesn't just jump, but rather asks, God, what would you have me to do? Help us to constantly discern your will so that we can confidently be people of our word and trust that when we follow you, you will bring it to a full and perfect end. I pray that we would be people of discernment. In Jesus' name, amen.